fellow feasters in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you for your patience as we prepare for Season 7 of the Gospel Feast podcast. Our author and historian has been busily working on a very special book, Esther, Something Hidden, Something Revealed. You've heard the story of Esther, but do you really understand it? I think you will find this book illuminates things that you never knew were in the simple story of Esther. This is the Gospel Feast podcast for those that need a little meat after the milk. It's time to cut like a two-edged sword. We have had so many people asking us about the current events in the Middle East and how we believe this affects the end timeline, and particularly the Antichrist. So it's not fair to connect this to any one listener. Who is the Antichrist? When will he appear? And what is your take on the current events in the Middle East? This is a dangerous topic. Well, is it any more dangerous than all the nonsense the world was put through these last few years in terms of disease, contagions, and injections? Well, yes and no. The Lord, the only one who cannot be deceived, warned us that the only one we really needed to fear is Lucifer, and he is the supreme Antichrist of them all. Yes, but we are being asked about the so-called end times leader who is supposed to reign from Jerusalem and bring worldwide peace, but then turn on us all. Yeah, I know. Will our listeners believe me if I tell them that most of that crap was made up by Albert Pike on orders of the Illuminati Rothschild family in an attempt to steer Jews and Christians toward their goals? I'm sure most of them have never heard that before. In the wake of Pike, well-meaning and not-so-well-meaning Christians have expanded it based on a pell-mell reading of the Bible, but most of it is nonsense. Most of it? The whole thing stands the risk of becoming a self-fulfilling prophecy. But I fear the worst part of it is that since Pike, Christians have invented signs of the times that they will be watching for, which will not come to pass their way. And so they will either come to doubt the word, allowing fear to grow in their hearts, or worse, they will delay the day of their repentance and miss the real signs. This may be the ultimate philosophies of men mingled with scripture. I think our listeners know that we don't claim any insider secret knowledge here, but your perspective has always been proven to be interesting and more often right than wrong. I'm only quoting the prophets, ancient and modern. We have a tremendous advantage in restored Christianity. My understanding of how this will unfold is based on what Joseph Smith restored, said, and hinted at. It also includes careful notice of what he did not say. And so I ask everyone listening right now to hear this next statement very carefully, because I am going to be telling you the blunt truth. Secular Christianity is in the same predicament today that the ancient Jews found themselves in when they rejected the greater light. The Lord said that when his kin rejected the moral, the reason for their cultural founding under Moses, the greater light, they would be left with nothing but ignorance as to their culture and whatever little scraps of light and crumbs they could find. Exactly. They would miss the purpose of their calling, and thus the purpose of what they were chosen anciently to do. Let me try and paint the point via metaphor, because I can't think of a better way to do it. This will not be a perfect metaphor, but I think it will be good enough to make the point. Pretend that you are a character in a book, and that the book is your life's story and adventure. One day, when you come to the midpoint of your life's book, you meet the author of your book and ask him about the final chapter and the moral of your life's story, which you have not yet gotten to yourself. He tells you the moral and the final chapter, and you reject it all. You don't like the moral of your life that he gives, and you don't accept the rationale for the coming chapters. What will happen by the time you get to the end of your book? You are going to be totally confused and attempt to create meaning out of the confusion. Will your conclusions be accurate? No, not perfectly. 
They might be partially accurate, but if you have truly rejected the moral that the author himself wrote, there is no way that your life's conclusion can be based on truth. Okay, it seems that my metaphor did hold up pretty well. Everyone, please try and remember it as I share some history with you. All Christianity teaches that the entire events of the Old Testament and all of the covenants and promises of God therein, including all the promises of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, were setups to lead all the world to Jesus Christ when he at last arrived. In order to have enough recognizable culture on earth to prepare the needful things to make the witness work, the Lord called and then chose first Israel and then the Jewish tribe when the rightful holders of the name Israel fell and were taken away into captivity and lost. When the promised Messiah did arrive, there were many in Jewry who recognized him and accepted him as the promised son, and in fact the entire Christian movement started with those Jews who believed in Jesus, became his disciples, then his apostles, then his congregation, and ultimately his witnesses on the earth. This is the only thing that Judah was chosen to do. Today you hear the Jews talk about being the chosen, but they don't know what they were chosen for. They still hold on to Father Jacob's promise that a king will come from their tribe, not understanding that he has already come, entered Jerusalem triumphantly on the very day Daniel said to watch for him, but was rejected by the majority of the people. The educated Jews among us admit that they blew it and are now waiting for the Messiah ben Joseph to fix the mess they are in. They know that there is nothing worse than being chosen and having blown it because where much is given, much is expected. Bingo! It's inaccurate to say that all of Judah missed their calling because, again, all of the Lord's twelve apostles and the seventy were Jews who heard the call, answered it, and became the ones of Christ's choice. This is the true meaning of being the chosen. Because of these fine Jews turned saints of the early church, we know who our Messiah Christ is, and when he came, and how he redeemed us. They were the chosen ones who heard the call and responded. They were the true chosen of the tribe of Judah. I have noticed that the Jews are really pushing the name Israel today. Well, the Lord said that the word Jew and all things connected to it would become a hiss and a byword for the wicked things that some of them would do in the future in the name of religion. Oh, and a hiss is the sound a snake makes. Love that Eastern thinking. You will remember that the Old Testament says that the name Israel was given to Joseph, Ephraim first, and Manasseh second. That is why the name Israel left with the ten tribes, and the Jews called their remaining kingdom the kingdom of Judah anciently. They knew that they had no claim to the name Israel. The name Israel belongs, by their own law, to the tribe of Joseph, and so they are waiting for the lesser Messiah Ben-Joseph to save the day. And David Ben-Gurion knew that the land belonged to Israel, so calling the land the state as Israel does make sense. So the Jews living in the land of Israel is the most biblically correct way of saying this. Yes. Now, in order to answer the question, I have to say that modern higher critics, that's a joke of a title, I prefer academians, don't want you to know that Christianity spread like a wildfire through the world. It reached everywhere. For thousands of years, every culture was waiting for the hero son to end Lucifer's power and end what they understood to be the wrath of the father, whom they saw as Saturn, Ra, Kronos, Kima El, or a hundred other names in one guise or another. Everyone was waiting to pass the guardian at the tree of life, whom they saw as the father's all-seeing eye, or clock ticking down to the day of destruction, and judgment. Yes, this feels like it could tangent. Well, that's fair. I really need to explain all of this better someday. It's huge, but true. It is the unifying theory that all academians are searching for. But we are on a particular mission right now, so I'll try and tighten the reins. 
As an example of Jesus's reach, records show that at least 40 million people in Asia joined the Christian church. Even Kublai Khan's head wife and favorite daughter joined. The Greeks, the Etruscans, and the Germanic tribes of Japheth, the Ethiopians, and Egyptian tribes of Ham all embraced the gospel because they had been waiting for it. It also helped that Abraham's blood had previously entered these tribes, and so the Holy Ghost had a greater claim upon them physically. Abraham's blood passed into Japheth via Ephraim first, and then later Judah's blood merged with the tribe of Ashkenaz, who was a Germanic Gentile. Today, the Ashkenazi Jews celebrate their merging into Japheth, just as Noah foretold, with the title Ashkenazi Jews. These would further merge with the Khazarians, with disastrous results. Hitler was Jewish, and hence the term Nazi to mock him was used. He hated that word, and would have people killed in Germany who used it. It revealed too much about his ancestry and the London bankers who were financing him. He wanted to remove the Jewish side of Germany and replace it with the pagan Ashkenazi side, whose leaders were actually Indumean, meaning of Esau. And I sense another tangent. Oh, fair enough. Ham's family was blessed with Abraham when his sons with Hagar and Keturah married into the lines of Esau and Africa. There is evidence that some of Solomon's wives were also Hamitic. So you can see the Lord's promise to Abraham that in time he would be the father of many nations, throughout Noah's greater family. We will come back to this. Even today, Christianity is the most accepted single worldview if you add all the Christian denominations together. The elites of the world don't want you to know that, and they keep releasing news stories about how religion is failing around the world. They were hoping to once again create a self-fulfilling prophecy. Remember that as we continue. But back to Jewry. For the many Jews who didn't want Jesus nor believed in him, he warned that their very culture would slip into nonsense if they missed the very purpose for what their culture was created in the first place. See, I slipped a sneaky tangent in anyway. Yeah, I noticed that. In other words, all of their rituals, laws, prophets, testimonies, temples, synagogues, and even unleavened bread, the very things that made them a unique people, were all designed to bring them to Jesus Christ. Once they rejected the moral of their life's book, the entire rest of the book would make no sense. This is huge to understand, and one sees the sorrow and confusion that good and faithful Jews struggle with today, as they swing live chickens around their heads and celebrate their new year and remind everyone that they are the chosen. Chosen to swing chickens around their heads? No, chosen to marry God. Okay, Exodus does say that. But half of the rest of the Old Testament is the legal divorce when God threw them away for their Luciferian secret combinations. But it is true that he also promised that Elijah would return and reseal those worthy back to him. This is what they wait for every Passover. So, no, God is not finished with Judah, nor Joseph, who has the legal claim to the name Israel. Ask your Jewish friends what they are doing today, and with some sadness they will say, Duh, it's tradition, stupid. They are locked in their past, trying to make sense of the senseless, which is what their ancestors chose for them instead of their Messiah Jesus, called of Nazareth. Jews today do worry and fear that their culture and traditions make no sense. From my own personal life, I can tell you that I've seen this many times with my good Jewish friends. The Jews hang on to their ancient choosing, just as secular Christians hold on to their false concept of salvation by declaration, meaning without good works or ordinances. Particularly, to quote John, sealings with Elijah. Is this making sense? It is. Please continue. In terms of Christianity, all of the original apostles and the Seventy, the Brethren, and all of the early Christian fathers were warned that if they were not careful, deceivers and very wicked women and men would lead the church, the body of Christ, into apostasy. Thus, for nearly 200 years after Jesus' ascension, 
all of the great Christian minds were on the alert for heresies and false doctrines. They were particularly worried about antichrists, but more importantly, the great lamb dragon, who John said would be the greatest of all the antichrists to come. It was at this point in history that the first of three terrible things happened. Again, these are things that are not debatable. They are historical, verifiable facts, even if you were never taught them. First, as more and more Jews embraced the gospel with the entire world, those Jews who didn't want the gospel for various reasons were profoundly concerned as their children left their synagogues for Christian chapels. Christians used what was now being called the Old Testament to great effect in reaching younger Jews. Thank you men like Saul of Tarsus, who converted to Paul and knew the doctrine. The book of Hebrews is an example of how they used their own law and prophets, or ancient doctrine and covenants, to explain how Jesus fulfilled the burdensome law of Moses and their entire culture. With the loss of their temple and later Jerusalem again, those remaining Jews were in a panic. The powerful Sadducees, particularly, it was the Pharisees primarily who ended up converting to Christianity, saw their remaining children slowly abandoning the confusing law of Moses once they understood that they had been chosen to be kin to Jesus of Nazareth and how he fulfilled their righteous culture. The Jews had persecuted Christians before, even murdering those who they could get their hands on, but they were losing, so what was needed was a shift in their dogma away from Jesus. They reasoned that they could do this in two ways. The first was to make up terrible lies about him and his early followers, since there were no remaining eyewitnesses to them. This would be easy. But the second way was more of a challenge. At Sinai, after their release from Egypt, Jehovah God gave Moses a calendar along with his wedding contract, when they were called and then chosen. This calendar consisted of a yearly set of festivals that were really wedding rehearsals, which would prepare them to receive their groom on a future jubilee year. But it was not until the prophet Daniel that the exact jubilee year was given. Thus, their own calendar clearly pointed to Jesus as the one expected, and in fact, this is the real meaning behind the mission of John the Baptist, the attempted murder of the Lord in Capernaum, and most importantly, his triumphant entry into Jerusalem. We have discussed all of this in more detail over the course of these last six seasons. Yes, and that is why we occasionally remind our listeners that our podcast has been designed to expand knowledge, so new listeners will benefit from starting at Season 1, Episode 1, and listening up through the series. So, more than anything, you are saying that the great Jewish leaders post-Roman dispersion needed to rework their sacred calendar away from Jesus Christ. This was a very dishonest thing to do. Yes, it was later in an attempt to figure out why the Jewish calendar and the Christian calendar didn't align, and there was no logical reason for it not to. That led many Christians to carefully scan the ages, using civic records to find out how it was possible that two homogeneous groups of people could be so off in terms of civic, secular dates. It was these conundrums that led men like Isaac Newton, but there were others, to see if they could figure out what happened. It is from them that the Christian world came to understand that it was the Jewish calendar that was wrong, in some cases by only 70 years, but in other cases by as much as 500. You know in our podcast we never miss a moment to illustrate the profound prophetic gifts of Joseph Smith, and so we will do that here again. While trying to make sense of some of this himself, the prophet Joseph, using the Urim and Thummim or one of his seer stones, was told that an old rabbi in antiquity had taken it upon himself to make changes to the calendar and doctrine which he had no right to do. Today we have documented historical proof that Joseph was right. Joseph Smith could not have known this during his lifetime. We have, in the records of the Jews themselves, 
complaints by some that Rabbi Yossi took it upon himself to change the perfect Jewish calendar in order to move the prophecies away from Jesus Christ. This is not debatable. It is a historical fact, and the well-read rabbis know it. Once it was done, and the larger council of rabbis agreed to the ruse, any and all young Jews were threatened with death and damnation if they studied the timeline, particularly Daniel's, too deeply. And so, Daniel's writings were removed from the prophets section and placed in the mere writings section of their holy writ, since they feared to remove him completely from their Bibles after Ezra had declared the book to be holy. We know about this today because some of the honest rabbis, still among the people back then, called it out, preserved the event and what had been changed, and the correct calendar, which in time was generally ignored or kept very, very quiet. These rabbis preferred truth, even if they didn't prefer Jesus. It all got worse for the Jews when they started teaching outrageous lies about Jesus, and even worse for them in nations controlled by powerful Catholics. When they started saying really outrageous things about the beloved Mother Mary, things so vile that they are actually pornographic, so let your imagination slide into the dirt, and know it's actually worse than that. When the powerful Christians learned these things were being secretly taught in their own communities, in the Jewish neighborhoods they were tolerating, they were enraged. They had been willing to allow the exiled Jews to live among them in peace, but this discovery started the terrible back-and-forth atrocities that occurred in history on both sides. I could easily tangent here. <laughs> Please don't. Okay, so in order to move God's calendar away from Jesus, petty Jews ruined their own commission from God to keep it pure. That's the first part you have to understand in order to make sense of what is coming. But before we can be too upset with ancient dishonest Jews, here's part two, so hang your head, Christians. The second thing you must know is this. As Catholics were busily studying the timelines, both in order to understand why they didn't agree, and in order to use the timelines to try and prove Christianity to Jewry, they made a terrible discovery. The timeline warned about a falling away, called the Great Apostasy in the New Testament. It is much more obvious when John's revelation is read with Daniel. I was waiting for you to work this season in. Actually, it revealed something even more disturbing. They discovered the identity of the Antichrist. Bingo. Catholics, but later more devastating to them, Protestants, discovered that the Bishop of Rome was, and was going to be, the dreaded Antichrist. So, Catholic monks and historians, who were as guilty as the old, self-entitled rabbis, reworked this time the history because they couldn't move the entire calendar. Yes. They actually moved the history away from Jesus in order to protect the Pope. They used the ancient history of Antiochus IV, known as Epiphanes. They claimed that his life events were the ones that applied to Rome and eventually the Popes. This completely ruined Daniel in terms of pointing to Jesus. But to the self-entitled Catholics, it was better to protect the Pope than point to Jesus. And so you can see how Daniel slid from being the most important Old Testament book in terms of God's specific announcement of Jesus Christ to a book in Christianity about a lion's den and some eunuch's supper plans. Ah, hence Isaac Newton's obsession with the book. Amen. He understood what had happened and understood Daniel, give or take a jubilee. So the timelines have been ruined first by rabbis, then by Catholics. But third, it was the Masonic Protestants who ruined the calendar a third time. Ah, so our episode on Reverend William Miller. You speak about him at length in your book Daniel and the Last Days. Yes, he was the one who discovered, using Daniel and mathematicians, 
like Newton, that the altar of Christianity would be cleansed in the fall of 1844, and he believed that meant the second coming. You got it. When the Lord didn't return in the fall of 1844, it devastated so many Protestants that it actually created new denominations of Christianity to deal with it, including the Jehovah's Witnesses and Seventh-day Adventists. So this third dirty little secret is that honest Christians saw that the cleansing of the altar was the murder and blood of Joseph and Hiram Smith, the prophet and patriarch of God's choosing. This is the correct meaning and sign of this prophecy. So once again, they needed to rework the calendar away from truth. In order to do that, they dumped dispensationalism, something that all early Christian fathers taught as being the correct understanding of God's calendar, and they invented the current understanding of the pre-tribulation and the left-behind doctrine. It's a lie from Lucifer. It's designed to break their hearts because they are going to be here through the end-time trials, and when they aren't taken up, Satan will say one of two things. Either God lied to them about all of this, or they weren't worthy enough and so they might as well give up since they were the ones left behind. Diabolical. Lucifer is the worst. Don't listen to him. The evangelical gap theory, their disconnected final week— What is that? It was an invention done to move the calendar that we had finally figured out, the one that testifies of the lesser restorer, the Messiah Ben Joseph, Joseph Smith, and the blood on the altar to move it away from Joseph in the same deception as the old Jewish one than the later Catholic one did. The reason I had to tell you all of this was to get to the great question of this episode. Yes, who is the Antichrist? And when will he appear? To cut to the chase, all the end-time prophecies of a single great Antichrist, and all of the babble about the 70th week, and all the Protestant nonsense that even members of our own church believe, and conclusions manufactured from the acceptance of these three times men mucked with God's calendar, hide the truth. Wow. But we know there are prophecies about the last days— so not everything they say can be wrong. I didn't say that everything was wrong, and in fact we have studied all of the correct things in seasons 4, 5, and 6 of this podcast together. And you have expounded on them in your volumes of the Gospel Feast books. Yes, so quick shameless plug, they are all available on Amazon. Hey, I was just going to say that, and well, they are worth reading. They really are feasts of gospel meat. If your soul is craving it, I do recommend them. What is your takeaway, then? Please, everyone, listen to me very carefully right now. We as a world are striving to create self-fulfilling prophecies. These will be just true enough to confuse many. We are in danger of falling into the very traps that we are planning to avoid because too many of us have the wrong morals in terms of the great book of our lives and in attempting to force the Holy Bible and God's calendar to fit our broken understandings, we are going to create the very mess that we fear. All of our current concepts of a worldwide Antichrist come from the New Testament apostles and their disciples. All of them, and by all of them I mean all of them, were expecting him to appear during their dispensation after an apostasy, not before it. We explored this season how John very bluntly pointed to the King of Rome as being the one replacing Christ on earth. They were so vigorous in their warnings because it was their children or grandchildren who were the only ones who could stop it. You know, we got a question, but really more of a statement from Christopher of Greater Los Angeles, that I was going to save for a Q&A, but it actually fits too well here. He said, It was difficult hearing this season at times. I come from a wealthy Catholic family, so wealthy, in fact, that we have our own personal priest. I was rather forcefully taught, on more than one occasion by him and various nuns, that it was not required for me or any Catholic children 
or anyone really, to pray to Jesus anymore since the Pope was here and he stood in Christ's place, totally and literally on earth. We were taught that there would be no antichrists because we had killed all of the heretics in the past and that when the Lord appears, he will bow and thank the Pope for his service and that basically all the scriptures about Christ reigning on earth are really fulfilled and will be fulfilled by the Pope since Jesus, you realize, today is the Holy Ghost. So I know you're speaking the truth this season, even though I feel like I might be betraying my people. I couldn't have said it better. Go and do an internet search for these things and you will find them. We see the word anti today and read it as meaning only against, but it regularly meant instead or in place of. The same concept exists in the term antichrist, and more accurately in the antichrists, plural. No one stands in the place of Christ. Even biblical and modern prophets never claimed to be Christ, only to be his approved messenger. The very same prophet of Revelation, who pointed to the reborn king in Caesar's throne multiple times, warned us that Caesar's throne would take over Christianity instead of Christ. John warned the saints before he was taken away from the church in 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. Uh, I have it here. Little children, as ye have heard, that Antichrist shall come. Even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. How can this be the last time? I think it's obvious that John was talking about the great falling away, which they all knew was coming. This great apostasy is mentioned repeatedly in the Bible. I agree. So who is the Antichrist they were waiting for? The one they had heard about. From whom? From Paul and John. When? At the fall of the church into the great apostasy the very same that Martin Luther, John Calvin, William Tinsdale, and many others tried to end. John was trying to say that if you watch for the rise of Christian Rome, you will see it coming, and it was coming quickly, as was the last times before the fall, and that the instead of Christs were already rising among them. So you are saying that the Antichrist is the office of the popes on earth? Yes, the Antichrist that everyone today is searching for has been here since the fifth seal, just as the Lord told John. Now please don't get me wrong. The forces of evil will attempt to make it happen. Even now there are secret combinations, including the very dangerous Jewish Mafia, who are pushing a one-world Zion government. The Jews believe that a new Jewish king will rule all of us from Jerusalem, not Jesus returned, but some descendant of David. The Muslims believe that they will rule the world as firstborn heirs of Noah. The Adamic Jewish Illuminati believe that they will rule as heirs of Lucifer. All of these ultimately want to place an instead of Christ on a one-world throne. Then this makes the actual instead of Christ Lucifer Satan. It does. And there are even those who say that Lucifer Satan will be reborn as a reptilian-human hybrid. So you see how nutty this all becomes very quickly. I do, and I see your point, that we are left to our own stupidity once we reject the higher light, just as the Lord warned. The truth is that the secular Christian gap theory is a crap theory. It was invented when it was realized that Daniel's correct timeline pointed to Joseph Smith as a restorer commissioned by Jesus Christ to facilitate the final sealing spoken of by John. Almost all of Daniel's timeline, but the very end of chapter 11 and 12, have already happened. The verses in Daniel used today to justify their reinvented timeline of the so-called Antichrist are in chapter 7, verse 25, the popes. Daniel chapter 8, 23 to 25 are the popes. Daniel chapter 8, 11 to 12 
are the Caesars, whose throne became the Pope's. Daniel 11, 36-42 are all about Napoleon Bonaparte, who ended the power of the Pope's. In terms of Daniel, this leaves only Daniel chapter 11, verses 43-45 through 45, as unfulfilled to date. Thus, any future Antichrist can only be found there. Please read it. Daniel chapter 11, verses 43-45 through 45. But he shall have power over the treasures of gold and of silver, and over all the precious things of Egypt. And the Libyans and the Ethiopians shall be at his steps. But tidings out of the east and out of the north shall trouble him. Therefore he shall go forth with great fury to destroy, and utterly to make away many. And he shall plant the tabernacles of his palace between the seas in the glorious holy mountain. Yet he shall come to his end, and none shall help him. Well, hindsight is twenty-twenty. Whoever this ends up being, these will be the only things that their so-called single Antichrist is prophesied to accomplish. Unless we give in to the self-fulfilling prophecies we create. But do note carefully that his power is money and Egypt. I can't help but say today that both of these are the precious hoard of the London Rothschild banking family, who are major players in the Illuminati today, the supreme secret combination deep state. Their goal, since Napoleon, and that is very important, since Napoleon's reign as a secular earthly king comes just before these verses in Daniel, and thus the pattern is consistent throughout the vision. No crap gap. The goal of the Lord's Rothschild have been to own all the world's gold and silver, and to rule the world with the secrets of Egyptian masonry. Indeed, their major symbol is the pyramid. I believe this is saying that ultimately one of them will attempt to claim Jerusalem as his, but information coming from the east and north will ruin his plans, and then he will be enraged and attempt to destroy whatever he can. This is already a pattern with them. The American War of 1812, and the first two world wars, and the murder of the Tsars were all direct results of a Rothschild not getting his way. But despite his attempt to destroy all his opposition to his one-world rule, he will succeed in building a palace to himself in Jerusalem, but that will be the last thing he does. Now this cannot be Gog. You will remember that Ezekiel tells us that Gog wants Israel's gold and silver. Daniel's final king already has it. Gog is not interested in Egypt's precious things. Egypt actually joins forces with Gog, as does Libya and Ethiopia, so they are not at his steps, meaning biting at his heels. Also, Egypt is today a third-world country. So what do they have that anyone would want? King Tut's mask? Really? Thousands of dehydrated corpses mummy-wrapped? Some old stone pyramids? This is nonsense. The precious things of Egypt are, to the evil forces of this world, the occult secret knowledge that they believe Egypt holds. The scriptures do say that Gog is a Scythian, which we know today as Russia. East and north of Russia is Alaska and polar bears. I rather doubt that Eskimos and polar bears will be any threat. So Daniel's final evil king is not Gog. Ezekiel tells us all about Gog and Magog, so we can set that down, and we spoke about that in our last season. What about Revelation? I would hope that our careful verse-by-verse -verse feast on Revelation this season has shown that one must not read Revelation as a single-event book pertaining only to the end times. Only the seventh seal applies today. Seals one through five have passed and are set in stone. Our listeners know that I believe we are in, or have just finished, the additional half-hour of grace that is in the seventh, but is attached to the sixth. When one believes the evangelical crap-gap theory, they are free to take any scriptures they wish and bend them to fit their made-up timeline. 
the very definition of the philosophies of men mingled with Scripture. Yes, expertly said. And we know the source of such is Lucifer. Perhaps the most feared reworked chapter is chapter 13. The Rise of the Beast with His Mark. Yes. Again, everyone is trying to unmask him by searching for the three sixes. They are waiting for the Antichrist to create a one-world peace kingdom, joining all religions and all nations under one ruler. Honestly, watching what is happening in Israel right now, do you see that ever happening? You make a great point. No, I don't see us coming together ever worldwide. Liberal and conservative, Republican and Democrat, Macintosh or PC, Coke or Pepsi. Hearing you say that, I do reflect on the Lord saying, They will cry peace, peace, but there will be no peace. Exactly. There will be no peace. And so there will be no universal peace. Thus, there will never be the end-time plans that the evangelicals preach prior to the second coming, unless we create them as a self-fulfilling prophecy. I'm telling you their timeline is made up. Consider honestly, how is this going to happen? The Luciferians believe that they will crash the money system, and that we will all run to them for salvation. Modern Christians will never do that. My point. They say we will all be chipped, and then have to obey if we want to eat. Yes, I remember your comments on how this will never happen either. Freedom fighters and Christians will never do that. The Jews say that an exalted Jewish king will convince the Muslims to allow them to tear down the Dome of the Rock and build Ezekiel's temple complex. After this recent attack, the Muslims hate the Jews more than ever. Exactly, people. The Lord said there would be no peace. And so you have it from the mouth of God himself. You can't go ahead and make up your own timeline, adding in an Antichrist of peace, when the Lord said, peace, peace, but there will be no peace. This is not going to happen. So setting that one aside, we do have this. In Revelation, three men united, called a false king, a false priest, and an idol, will convince many soon to set up a new incarnation of the great beast, and this will lead to the kings of the east coming to attack them. Now there is no contradiction here with this and the unfulfilled final versions in Daniel. But again, you are saying that this isn't going to go down their way anyway. Right. Remember self-fulfilling prophecy. We are creating what is happening because those in power also believe the made-up lie. Everything we have talked about so far is accurate. But now comes my speculation, so grain of salt, people. Neither the Lord nor any prophet or politician has asked for my opinion on this. So you will just have to make up your own conclusions. Today, I believe that humanity is about to cause several major tragedies in our attempt to force our incorrect interpretation of Holy Writ. I believe that the source of this is going to be the Jews who rejected the higher light of Christ and the Christians who rejected the higher light of the Lord's restoration. They will thus attempt to create our end time disasters as a self fulfilling prophecy. The wicked Jews of this world believe that it is their destiny to rule the entire planet. But that right is the Lord's, as head of Judah. The wicked Christians are waiting for a kingdom that has already been restored. These are being led by powerful bankers and Luciferians at the top who are going to play us all for fools. These, led by three, my current guess is the House of Windsor, the false king, the Roman pontiff, the false priest, and either the House of Rothschild and or the House of Zoroaster, which I suspect is the same thing as the false idol. They will deceive most of us, but not Gog. I believe that Gog will, believing that he is doing the right thing, attack the good and the bad people of the House of Judah in the land of Israel. I think this will happen in part because the world is going to soon put together that not all those who call themselves Jews are really worthy Jews. John said this would happen, and John was Jewish. We've been warned by the Lord that there are many who would say they are Jews, but are not. Sadly, the good people of Judah 
just like the good Christians of today, have let them in. Tares among the wheat, goats among the sheep, dragons and wolves hidden among the herd. I suspect that this is going to come out of the synagogue of Satan, the evil Jews, but really Esau in disguise, and the church of the devil, the evil Christians, but really Esau in disguise. These have conspired and caused much of our modern suffering, from poisoned injections, to Jeffrey Epstein-style pedophilia, to human trafficking, to national debts and political assassinations. I believe that the final draw will be when the world discovers that recently Israel let Hamas in so as to justify their forced removal. We are just beginning to discover the heights and depths of our betrayal at the hands of the very kingmen that the Lord warned the entire world about in the Book of Mormon. I suspect, and I take no pride in saying it, that the world is going to figure out that the eviler side of Judah, the Edomites hiding among them, let the tiger out of their cage after years of poking him with a stick in order to finally and completely remove them primarily from Jerusalem. If we are right, and the world puts this together, it could very well fulfill the prophecy that before the end, the Jewish nation will be on their own. The one thing that the false king, the false prophet, and the false idol all want is to sit in Jerusalem and claim the world. The Palestinians are all that stand in their way today in terms of land. I believe that when the world figures this out, Gog will attack them from the north and the east, and this will bring the return of Jesus Christ to set us all straight. You already know that I've said that I believe there will be two wars. The first, the Jews will win. This will give them back Jerusalem ultimately, so they can rebuild their temple. Then, the scriptures say, the world will gather against them. This second war they will lose, but it will bring back their rightful king, Jesus of Nazareth, the true son of David, the only begotten of God the Father, through Mary. Wow. That was a lot to digest. So let's recap with this conclusion. In an attempt to fulfill the false calendar that our evil ancestors created, in order to hide the truth from us, powerful forces on this planet are attempting to bring to pass a false timeline. This is what you mean by self-fulfilling prophecies. All that is left that must happen is a secret combination of three powerful world leaders who will convince most of humanity to follow their agenda which will be based in satanic lies. At least one of them will attempt to set himself up as a king or ruler in Jerusalem, but he will be destroyed, most likely by a Russian leader, who has built a conglomeration out of the nations who are tired of international Jewish mafioso manipulations. The scriptures call this man Gog, and his conglomeration, Magog. The Lord Jesus Christ, in order to keep his promises to our righteous ancestors, anciently, will come and put a stop to all of this and save a portion of the Jewish people, whom he judges worthy of salvation. Every other end-time sign, in terms of so-called Antichrist events, have been made up in the wake of humanity's incorrect understandings of the scriptures and God's calendar as given to Moses. Any similarities in reality to their made-up timeline will be self-fulfilling prophecies and nothing more. Those who are watching for these made-up signs to happen may in fact miss the real signs and then either be deceived or believe that God did not speak the truth. Man, this episode could have been our shortest ever. Why didn't you stop more of my tangents? You said that perfectly. No, we needed that setup to grasp that we have been manipulated over centuries, and once mythology is embraced as truth, people create the prophecies themselves. It can be very hard to see correctly when myths become the accepted truth. If you wake up and reject the Christian forced reinterpretation that most of Daniel chapters 8 through 11 are yet to happen, 
and that Revelation is not just an end-time book. In short, that narcissistically the whole Bible isn't about you, and but in fact much has already happened. You are only left with the end-time events you just summarized perfectly. I have a deep and profound love for all things Jewish and Israel. What pains me is just like any other people, they have a contingency of criminals in their midst, the worst being the Jewish Mafia and the Idumean Illuminati. They are very dangerous, very evil, and very powerful, and a lot of innocent Jews are going to suffer because of their wicked plans. Stupid Christians have been programmed to believe that they will be blessed if they blindly support Israel at any cost. They base this on an Old Testament scripture that has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Israel and Judah are not necessarily the same thing, and Judah is but one tribe of many. And the Lord warned all of us that he would gather Judah to Jerusalem, and that when he did, we were to butt out of his business there. We have not done this. It's one thing to support the modern Jewish right to gather and have a home in Israel. I support that completely. It's another thing to be manipulated by a criminal regime, waste our economy, and kill our sons and daughters in wars to bring about a satanic agenda warned about by the Lord himself. This is not supporting Israel. Something tells me we are too far along to stop some of this now. Hold to the rod. We are in for a ride. Even so. Well said. Lord, bring it on. What a wonderful way to complete another season on the Gospel Feast podcast. Yes, there are scary times ahead, but we know that all of these events will culminate in the return of Jesus Christ. So, other than giving our food storage another once over, the best thing we can do is help fulfill, as President Kimball said, the threefold mission of the Lord's true and only living church. We need to refocus our efforts to help perfect the saints, help preach the gospel, and work to redeem the dead. Very soon, very little else is going to matter. Even so, come Lord Jesus.